0: All right, I think we are good. All right, hello everybody. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm here at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, uh, New York. I'm going to try and not talk too loudly because I am still in the media room. UFC Brooklyn has just ended. UFC on ESPN+. Plus. Um, so behind me, if you can see a little bit, that's where the scrums took place. You see that? So that means... The press conference is this way. Um, so you're going to see people coming through. There'll be some changes behind me. It's a live environment. Um, I will try to be as quiet as I can given the circumstances so as not to disturb my fellow media members and to give you what you need. Um, if you don't want spoilers for UFC Brooklyn, UFC, and ESPN+, now's your chance to get out. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. Uh, typical disclaimers. This is brought to you by the Beta Academy in Washington D.C. If you want a great place to train in the Washington D.C. area, it's at the corner of 14th and Florida Avenue. There's information in the description box below. Please like the video and subscribe to the channel below. If you would like a question answered, you may donate. Oops, this one. You may donate in the super chat below. Yeah, that's where you can get that done. And we'll get to those at the end. they will go through the results until we get the end. There's going to be a ton of noise here. It's a live environment. When I'm at home, it's a lot easier, but I can't control the whole free world, so uh, here we are. All right, let us get to these. Oops. Hold on, I got to change the screen, don't I? I see it's a problem. Let's see. Transition. There we go. Now you can see it, right? Let's see here for just a second. Let me make sure that's working just fine. takes a second for the feed to update. Oh, what an event. Ooh, they're bringing in pizza. This is fun. There we go. Okay, we're live. All right, let's get to these results as we update them in real time here. In your main event, Henry Cejudo defeats TJ Dillashaw at 34 seconds of the very first round. Kind of interesting that the very first fights in both the Fox and ESPN era uh, ended super quickly. I don't remember the exact same time for Kane Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos, but suffice to say, it was very early, very quick. Uh, here it is. That happens again. Uh, you know, I, we said it before, and we said it all week, like, what's the make of it? TJ Dillashaw had all the stats on his side, super dynamic fighter, super interesting, um, uh, good uh, and well-rounded, like, the stats were good in the grappling department, the stats were good in the striking department. He even is, like, third or second all-time in bantamweight for submission attempts. He just had a much more developed skill set, but what else did we say? We said that um, Henry Cejudo, his skill set was entering a much more mature stage. That was one thing I think we saw on display here is great finishing instincts, accurate uh, punching. I mean, you could say it got lucky that it grazed the temple, but not necessarily. I mean, you're throwing aiming center of mass, you're going to land on it, Uh, and sometimes they are going to be knockout blows, sometimes they're not, but that's a pretty legitimate way to attack, obviously. I think the other thing that I would say, though, is that weight cut, you know, look, it's gonna, no one's really going to know the answer. Was the weight cut a factor in T.J. Dillashaw's inability to take the, the punches of Henry Cejudo? Your guess is as good as mine. I really have no idea. But it's going to be something that everyone's going to bring up as a function of what happened and what we saw here, right? So pretty important that he never do that again. I thought the cut was really hard on him. Uh, going down to 125 and getting smoked like that is bad for your career as somebody who's trying to be make a claim as a pound-for-pound pound, great. Uh, there's Middle Easy boys right there. Um, and so, it is. look, go to Bantamweight. If they're going to do any kind of rematch between TJ and Henry, that's fine. you got to do it at 135. It does not make sense to fight out of your weight class, and you can see why. It's just perilous. Like, so many bad things can happen. So many things can go wrong when you do that. So, um, was the stoppage early Maybe a little, maybe a little, not egregiously so. I would not say that was an egregious stoppage. Was it a potentially early stoppage? Was it some kind of, um, certainly was not a perfect stoppage. You could see there was a little bit of life left in TJ. Hard to know exactly what the ref saw in terms of the body language, or maybe saw something in in Dillashaw's eyes. It could have been a lot of things that he saw. Um, Hard to know exactly. TJ, as Cormier noted, has an elbow. He was posting on a hand. He was trying to do different things. So, it, like, this idea of intelligent defense is like, oh, when you stop wrestling or you stop putting in the best effort or you stop, you know, doing things that tactically improve your situation. And you could say that Dillashaw was still trying to do that. So, in that sense, it wouldn't be letter of the law good stoppage. On the other hand, he was taking tremendous amounts of punishment. It's not clear that even those tactical choices would have been very effective. And he was taking some pretty significant punishment. So, in the end, it's like. Was it the best stoppage I'd ever seen? No, it's not the best stoppage I'd ever seen. But it's not—it's far from the worst as well. And so um, I think it's important to consider that. Um, man, what do you want to say about Henry Cejudo? Wow. That is, you know, it's interesting. You, you look at a guy's numbers over his career. You look at the like chapters that these guys go through in their various careers and who they are and what we can say about it. And there are no numbers you can look at to faithfully represent who he is now other than maybe his last three fights, maybe maybe you could do last four. Maybe the Hayes fight was that turning point where he really began to show he has this sort of open-palmed sort of way of striking, and he's got a nice wide stance, and he's quick, and he's agile. Um, but the overall body of work doesn't tell the full story. The overall body of work doesn't really do that. This is this new chapter where he has completely matured his skill set, where he can dynamically attack with the strikes. He can uh, mix everything quite easily. He has ascended to another level of mastery that the overall numbers simply don't show. I'm a big fan of looking at numbers, as you guys know. I'm a big fan of what the statistics say, and they don't tell you enough about who he is at this point. He is massively and criminally underrated, in my judgment, at this point. whatever you want to say about the cut affecting TJ or not affecting TJ or however much that punch was a function of the weight cut affecting him or whether the stoppage was early, he is just showing a certain fluidity and confidence and physicality at this weight class that kind of eluded him before. He kind of always looked like he was not able to get out of first or second gear. Well, now he's just blitzing all the way to fourth and fifth. Uh, And that, to me, is just sort of comfortability. It is, again technical mastery it is obviously a much more experience now uh doing this kind of activity and we have to sort of reconcile the fact that he does not get the credit he deserves you know people were asking me all week which way you're leaning and i'm not in the business of doing predictions for anything other than entertainment at this point i make no claims on doing those well but i was like well i kind of lean towards tj Dillashaw because you just sort of think to yourself well i mean just one guy's a little bit more proven not at 125, but generally as a combative athlete, well, Sahuto's well, got the gold medal. As a mixed martial arts fighter, TJ Dillashaw simply had a greater body of work upon which to draw what we thought were some pretty important conclusions. And maybe that's still true at the appropriate weight class, but down here, it, it's not really true. And then Sahuto has just, I mean, his career as a combative athlete went kind of like, or as an MMA fighter, I should say, this, 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 this and it's just taken an exponential turn up he is everything you would want a champion to be and remember he's by bi- well he says he's trilingual but he's certainly bilingual I, I i think that he's getting comfortable with media and you could say the snake bit that he did at the presser was hoagie and maybe it was but at least he was out there trying something at least he was out there giving it an effort at least he was doing things that enabled him to show some personality and if he can build on that and they can keep this flyweight division around, dude, Henry Cejudo could be a starter. Talking about the first Olympic champion who became a UFC belt holder, I mean, it's kind of important, right? He was calling himself the real champ, champ, the Olympic champ, and then the UFC champ. He can be something. Like, now is not. I, I look, I, my argument about flyweight was if you had to get rid of a division, I'm not saying you have to, but let's say you did. If you had to get rid of a division, which one would you get rid of? the one at the very end that has not shown natural market response um, and doesn't have any, any real big stars. But Demetrius Johnson, moving on to one, is going to be good for Demetrius Johnson. And two, it kind of did lift the pot off the off the pan or, or whatever metaphor you want to use. It opened up things and allowed some new faces to get some attention. And it turns out some of those faces, we'll see, might be something that fans... Meaningfully respond to. Or maybe we'll get the results, the, the the ratings on Monday and say, oh, they were terrible. Maybe for the ESPN portion or ESPN will come out and say that they were under Like, Remember the first Canelo fight on DAZN against Rocky Fielding? And apparently the numbers were terrible. Maybe they'll come out and be like, oh, my God, these are a disaster. You know, I'm not, I'm not predicting that. I'm simply saying, let's see how the numbers are. But it just looks like there could be some ingredients to work with there. And you could do another Benavidez fight. He won tonight. You could have him go up to 135 and risk it all up there. He could become the next champ champ. By the way, I believe, if I'm still, let's think about this. Connor went up to 145, from 145 to 155, so he went up a weight class. Nunez went from 135 to 145, up a weight class. Um, Cormier went from light heavyweight to heavyweight, up a weight class. And in all those cases, the person moving into the champion's territory won. In this case, the person moving into the champion's territory lost, albeit they dropped down rather than going up. Not enough information to draw a super firm conclusion about what that means, but just sort of an interesting observation about these champ-champ efforts and who has had success and under what circumstances. As for TJ Dillashaw, you know, I think he was really rounding the corner himself. I think those those Garbrandt fights showed that he was really capable of a lot. Um, they showed that he... That fans responded to him. Remember, the Staples Center was sold out with him and Garbrandt. That rivalry kind of mattered to folks. Uh, but you know, these guys want to take on these massive challenges. And remember, he was talking about them. Here's Chuck Mendenhall. Why Why's Chuck being so weird back there? Nothing. Look at the look at these two weirdos back there. We're just watching your numbers escalate here, man. This is cool. Yeah, say hi to the folks. Hello, folks. And there's Danny Segura. Yeah. Did you bring me any pizza? Would you like a piece? That's yours. <laughs> Yeah, would you mind grabbing me, just whatever they have? Sure. Thanks. Um, all right, in any event, so TJ is going to have some rebuilding to do here. He's going to have some real rebuilding to do here, for sure. Um, I still think he's very talented. He still might be the best weight, but this was a disastrous effort. And So remember, circling back to fight week, oh, I'm going to you know see what happens with Max Holloway. He's slow. Got to pump the brakes on some of this stuff. Uh, if he had won tonight, I think he would have at least entitled himself to having you know his moment on stage and to say whatever he want uh he wanted and if he wanted to call out Max Holloway, I still would have thought that was a bridge too far, but you could at least understand once you become a champ champ you 're just entitled to a certain uh, latitude about what you can say and what you want to say and what people will accept um, But I am glad that we are not doing that. So- All right. Uh, So, yeah. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. So, yeah. There we go. TJ Dillashaw just getting absolutely smoked by Henry Cejudo. I am curious to see what this does. If they had a reason to keep Flyweight around, it's never been a better one than this. I mean, you could say Demetrius Johnson, but the market didn't respond. Let's see what happens with Henry Cejudo. As for, like, how good he looked, there's not much to say. He looked pretty good for what we saw. But I thought the finishing instincts were the one thing I took away from that tonight. Sort of tactically, just how effortlessly he moved into that. That was something that he had kind of had a problem with. Uh, he had a hurt opponent, and he let it rip. Uh, found good top position, good control from Turtle. Yeah, he got it done. It was really nice, pretty amazing. We'll come back to this. And again, if you have a let me see if we can get this right, if you have a question, yes, yeah, donate in the super chat. We'll get to it there. And then, of course, subscribe to the channel below. I always appreciate that when you do. And, of course, like the video. That's great. Okay, let's get to the next fight on. All right. The card. Alan Crowder defeating Greg Hardy at 228 of the second round. I mean, of course he landed. Of course Greg Hardy's first UFC fight ended in a loss via disqualification. Of course it did. Of course he kneeled a down. Are going to end up putting things together? that aren't necessarily causal, right? They're going to say, oh, this is a guy that beat a woman. Of course he would try to throw an illegal strike to his opponent. But we've all seen inexperienced MMA fighters do that. We've seen experienced MMA fighters do that. I'm not here to tell you it's a good thing. I'm not here to tell you it's okay. I'm not here to tell you that this was an amazing moment of, uh, of uh, tactical brilliance that anybody would have done. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there is an explanation for it independent of any domestic violence baggage. But here's the problem, man. You come into the UFC with it, and everyone's going to combine all of these narratives into one. They're all going to be part of the story. And so he has to kind of live with that. Uh, what do you want to say? Not a great fight. Uh, he came out trying to blitz early. It was pretty clearly not enough. And when Crowder wasn't going away, Crowder did some pretty good things. Clinching, uh, trying to counter-strike. Um, Okay, they're making an announcement about the press conference. They're making everybody go in there except me. I ain't going in there. In any event. um, So he he, he looked like typical Greg Hardy at first, but then Crowder was doing, again, smart tactical things to slow the fight down, weigh on him. Getting that takedown, moving to crucifix, you could tell Hardy had no idea what to do. The only thing that really saved him there, he he had real positional issues, by the way, Greg Hardy. He was not clear about what to do. And there was a moment there where you could see he was getting up to a knee. And I I, I have to go back and look at the tape exactly, but I was saying to myself, he's just going to drive you back down the other way because he was creating no stable structure upon which to build. He was kind of just coming fully straight up, and so what did Crowder do? He just drove him that direction and put him back down. Like there, there are some holes in his game, and we didn't know if they were there because he was just blowing everybody out in you know thirty seconds. Sure enough, you get someone takes him a little bit longer, and he becomes a very different fighter. Now you can excuse that because look here's the reality about the reality about Greg Hardy. Greg Hardy, excuse me, he's hard to matchmake because if you gave him somebody else three and O, unless they're a stud and how many heavyweight studs are out there, not many, he's just going gonna to torch him. So you have to give him somebody much more experienced than him. Well, would you give him somebody much more experienced than him, he ends up ha- having all these problems because his one real dynamic that gives him an edge is not all that relevant uh, beyond the very, very early stages of the fight. And so here he is at this point, unable to do much, he was sort of single striking. He was, just, you know, I mean, he landed a Superman punch. Look, he's got good power. He's got decent mechanics. But, like, all the good mechanics he was showing in the Contender Series, he didn't do any of those here. He was, I think, a little, a little flat-footed, uh, you know, lunging. And, you know, Crowder did everything he was supposed to do, given his skill set and his experience, and got the win in the end. The, you know, the knee was so blatant. So again, like you know, can you can you completely and absolutely chalk it up to uh, inexperience? Yes, of course. I mean, this is an obvious s- statement of fact. Uh, on the other hand, it's just like you know, it's just so weird. It's like you know, somebody who I, I don't know, I don't know what the equivalent would be, but somebody who had a background as a thief, you know, getting gifted a split decision or something. You know, it's just like these narratives in life bleed into the octagon in some kinds of ways and materialize almost too conveniently. So, I mean, does the UFC use Greg Hardy again? Probably. They might send him back to the Contender series, to be honest with you, because he needs seasoning, man. He needs a lot of work. He needs some help. He's got a long way to go because if you want to give him anybody up the food chain, they're going to do the exact same thing. They're going to clinch with him. They're going to avoid the big strikes. They're going to push him against the fence. They're going to test his wrestling. They're going to get on top, and it's going to be a problem. And so he needs somebody who he can get incrementally better against. Let's see. They Cowl in me. Uh, yeah, okay. So, so that's what you got with Greg Hardy. Uh, Alan Crowder, by the way, got cheered like he was some kind of hero, which is kind of funny. And I think they were chanting asshole. In the in Brooklyn tonight, <laughs> when they were talking about Greg Hardy, which was kind of funny. Uh, do they use Alan Crowder again? I suppose he lost to Walt Harris, and he gets the win over Greg Hardy. I, you know, there's some questions about how long I think he'll be at this level, but nice win for him. And uh, you know, he, he at least gets the opportunity to continue forward. In the end, though, like my major read on that was like it was just a bad fight, just a bad fight. You know, like you had Crowder who was physically overmatched, but much more experienced and strategically kind of had a sense of what to do. And I appreciate the effort he put into getting there. But then you had Hardy, who was a physically strong but didn't have much else. And then it ends with a disqualification after both guys got tired in the second round. It's like not scintillating MMA. But that division might last longer because people are much more receptive to that than they are flyweight, apparently. So go figure. Uh, we'll come back to that, uh, these two fights. I just want to sort of go through these a little bit here. Uh, Gregor Gillespie defeating Yancy Medeiros. Uh, at 4.59 of the second round with punches. I mean, here's the thing. i talked about it before on my on the Monday Morning Analyst. Let me pull up my screen here so I can show you guys. When someone can get locked hands or, like, a gable grip like this, like locked hands, dude, if you don't break that, it's an infinite hold. And from an infinite hold against a calculator wrestler, they can take it and they can drive. They're waiting to you to make you put your hands on the ground. They can lift and dump you for a mat return. There's just so many things they can do and I mentioned this before if you look, go back and look at folk style wrestling for example, collegiate wrestling um, from referees position you're allowed to put one hand around the waist and one hand behind the elbow you cannot lock your hands in that position it's actually called it's a penalty called locked hands uh, so you know, there are other ways in which you can lock your hands, but there are certain specifications where you can't and the reason why is you can just put them together you know Chelsea, uh, I mean, if you can put them together um, without any kind of impingement on them or any kind of uh, rule preventing you. It's incredibly controlling. Chilsono made a great point once, like the things that are legal in MMA are the things that are legal in all of the composite sports. So locked hands are illegal in wrestling. Well, they don't care about that in MMA. So you can lock your hands in, in this sport. And so it allows you to just control a person and follow their waist and manipulate them and throw them to the ground and force them to plant their weight. And it allows you to sink a hook and then you can transition to a different grip. It's just so dominating. It's so controlling. It's so suffocating. And, 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 uh, Gregor Gillespie just did it over and over and over and over again with the locked hands. He was hitting, he was hitting throw and he was hitting, you know, mat returns and everything he needed to, do to, to wear down Yancey and find his opening. And he finally got it, got on top, stretched him out and pounded him out, man. Not a whole lot to say about it more than that. He's a really nice guy. I talked to him back here. Um, doesn't want to talk shit about yancey which is i appreciate it because everybody likes yancey too you know if he had it would have been the fight game no big deal but i'm just sort of pointing out sort of what a sportsman he is and uh, in the end you got what you got um these guys who have this lifelong wrestling man they're hard to deal with i did think that the one interesting development from yancey was when he was granby rolling thought that was kind of cool so you saw they're not the first to do this what is a granby roll so a granby roll is i don't roll across the flat of my back a granby roll is i roll across the top of my shoulders so you roll across this not your back right you just roll across the top of your shoulders it's called a granby roll and it resets the angle and allows you to potentially loosen the hold on the grip there's just a lot of things it allows you to do And he was Gramby rolling on the mat returns, which gave him a couple interesting scrambles there. But, you know, you're just not over time. You could beat a wrestler in one scramble or first part of the scramble. But as long as you're engaging, as long as the fight looks like a wrestling match, you're going to lose. That's sort of what you got here. That's sort of what it all ended up being. And so um, great job by Gregor Gillespie. He's still undefeated. I hope he continues. Uh, We'll see what he's got. It'll be kind of interesting. But um, locked hands, man. Locked hands. That is a tough fucking way to get through a fight. Joseph Benavidez defeating Dustin Ortiz 29 28 across the board. He now beats him two times in a row. That's always kind of fun uh, for Joseph Benavidez. Don't have much to say about this one. Incredible back and forth. Here comes Greg Hardy right here. There's Abe Kawa. There's a bunch of people coming through. I'm not sure who that is. Yeah, I don't know. He looks uh, sullen and dejected, by the way. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Benavidez looked good. Great scrambles. He was dominant. Uh, Had had a good overhand right. He landed a couple times. Good lefts he was landing as Dustin was coming in. Um, Tremendous grappling exchanges. Each guy looking for the high hips. That was kind of interesting. Um, Don't have much to say about it. I think hope Benavidez gets the next title shot unless Henry comes up to fight uh, TJ there. But Certainly Joseph Benavidez is making a strong account of himself and a guy who's been looking for some opportunities and keeps beating these really, really tough contenders. It would be nice to see him get an opportunity. Um, how about Paige Van Zant defeating Rachel Ostovich armbar at 150 of the second round. Folks couldn't tell if Ostovich had tapped, but she did. She was back here. They brought her back. She was all slinged up. I think I got a picture of it. Let's see. She was all slinged up, and uh, her arm was fucked, to put it mildly. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I got one right here. Let's see if you guys can see this. I'll pull it up for you. Let's see. See that? Yeah. So she had it in a bad way. She was on the verge of tears. She could barely talk. I felt terrible for her. Um, obviously, you know, had this whole situation in the way it did, and then her arm gets messed up. It's just terrible. It's just truly really terrible. But uh, I, now someone was telling me there w- that... um. Paige Van Zandt was doing some interesting parts of Gorami. i We were talking to somebody else while she was over here, so I only caught part of the fight. I thought the takedowns from Rachel Ostevich were good. We knew she was a better probably a better grappler I mean, like you can still you can be like a gimmicky grappler and win and you could be a in the end. Rachel got submitted, but I do think in the overall breadth of her, breadth of her work she 's probably a little bit better of a wrestler and maybe a little bit better of a grappler. But you don't need to be. You can make mistakes in certain positions. You could be certain positions where you're not as good. You know, you're better overall. But in these particular, you know, from guard or something, you're better. And she got submitted. I thought there was a couple times where I thought she could have st- stood and shook her off and, like, stepped into certain positions to neutralize her. But she didn't, and she got her arm messed up. Um, but for Paige Van Zant, I, I thought it was classic Paige Van Zant. You know, a little bit kind of deer in the headlights in certain open spaces. But when she's attacking, here's one thing she's really good at. You know, even if, um, let's say uh, you and I are equivalently good grapplers, but let's say one difference between us is that you're really fast about sinking the hooks, really fast about attack, 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 attack. You can force people who are maybe the same or even as even better than you, you can beat them by sheer will of activity, the the, the frenetic pace of it. Oh. She's really good about, like, sinking the hooks in and snatching someone off their base. And then trying to sink that choke. So, look, Rachel Ostevich is a 4-5 and five fighter. She's less than five hundred, and so you don't want to read too much into Paige Van Zandt's victory, but you've got to give credit where it's due. It was classic Paige in the good way, not the bad way. Although I think she did go for a head toss again, which is, uh, you know, I don't know what to say about that. But I'll give her credit there. Some of the leg locks I did see were nowhere close. There was an, uh, there was a knee bar she was trying to tuck behind the the armpit like Shogun Randleman style, but the knee was so far down it, it there was no way to get it there were some of those heel hooks were good, but she wasn 't controlling the far side hip so you saw Rachel was able to roll so that was an issue uh, and then she was getting pounded in the process but nevertheless, you know that attacking 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 switching 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 attacking 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 you know, it pays incredible dividends uh, and and you saw it here so now She has uh, got back in the winning track. Um, You know, what's her longevity and upside? Your guess is as good as mine. But it was obviously nice for her to get back on the winning side of things. And, you know, where Rachel Ostevich goes from here, I don't know. Having her mom, her brother, and her father in her corner seemed highly emotional. She seemed up for the challenge. You know, I didn't notice that that the moment got to her. Uh, But she, to me, looked like, you know, Rachel Ostevich, when she's on, she's on, but she makes a series of errors down the stretch and down the stretch Paige Van Zandt is still just throwing attacks and that made a huge difference ultimately so um, that's the response there real quickly uh, Glover Teixeira beating Carl Roberson dude Carl Roberson was lowering the boom on Glover Teixeira you know, and due to the point where he had him mounted with one arm in between and he had to pull it out and then finally reverse and he did let's see what we got here Uh, And he did And uh, got to mount himself And then gets the head and arm triangle Yo, old man Teixeira Still out here, getting it done, 39 years old He turns, I think 40 in May or June Something like that, he told me And he really wants to turn 2019 into an opportunity to uh, Here we go, TJ Dillashaw right there Tiki Gosen Let's see if I can show you guys So those guys are there with a bunch of cameramen. Uh, very quickly, uh, again, Glover Teixeira, you know, he really wants to turn 2019 into a year where he figures out if he's going to get another title shot or not. And, uh, look, you beat a middleweight who came in on, short, on, on late notice. You don't want to uh, overstate it, but you don't want to understate it either. That guy had nothing to lose and, and fought like it. And uh, Teixeira just showed his class. Just a really strong opponent. Uh, how about Donald Cerrone, bro? How about Donald Cerrone, man? Oh, how about old men getting it done in Brooklyn? Donald Cerrone defeats Alexander Hernandez uh, at 343 with the second uh, uh, round with a head kick. Uh, just unbelievable. He, Hernandez came out like a bat out of hell and was just trying to do Alex Hernandez things. I thought Cerrone setting the tone with the takedowns was great. Uh, and then just picking his shots, firing up the middle when it was there. And ultimately, how did he get him? go into the body, go into the body, go into the body, and then when Alex Hernandez thought it was coming, by the way, hiding behind the punch, you'll see that Jeff Neal did the same thing, throws the punch and then throws a kick behind it, right? You saw um, OSP knock out somebody like this, I think Corey Anderson, same way. You throw the punch, the kick comes behind it, There, he was expecting it to come to the body, leans into it, and even though he had the hand up, it still hit with enough impact and then around the back of the head to stumble him, gets on top, and just goes to work on him. You know, Alex Hernandez talked a big game, and I know a lot of people don't like him. I like Alex Hernandez. I've had him on my show a bunch of times. Uh, look, he's a 20 what five year old kid, 26-year-old kid. These guys are going to have big egos. They're going to think they're invincible. They need moments like this to, you know, it's a wake-up call. I even asked he's like, what do you think about Hernandez? He's like, dude, he's a stud. He's going to be ranked the rest of his time in the UFC. Like, trust me. Um, and look, why was the fight kind of fun to see? One, because everyone likes Donald Cowboy Cerrone, but also, two, Hernandez made it a grudge match, and it wasn't one. He made it one. And so folks wanted to see him get his comeuppance, and if that's what you want, you got it. But I'm not going to say, you know, credit to Hernandez for saying horrible things about Donald Cerrone, but what I would say is, It made you invested. It's just what the the guy who isn't afraid to piss people off does, and he did it. He did it pretty well. It's just in the end, he was single striking, and Cerrone could read it. And once Cerrone got his distance, here was another problem. He'd land a shot when Hernandez wouldn't see it coming um, because he was gauging distance much, much quicker. And then you go back and watch the tape. Hernandez backing out straight constantly. He wasn't circling side to side he was going straight back in the line so Cerrone just followed him (laughs) and then chewed him up found the right timing for it and got it and so between not knowing how to break at the clinch he has hands down on clinch breaks between the lack of a proper evasive movement and then after that here we go hold on that is Greg Hardy right there Getting a Coke or a water or something. Right there. There you go. Um, So between the backing up straight and the clinch breaking and then getting tricked with the body work, dude, Cerrone, that's two prospects, not prospects, but two up-and-coming guys that he has shut down in a row. You know, Till kind of ran over him. And Leon Roberts just, you know, Leon Roberts is a very good fighter, but Mike Perry wasn't enough, and Alex Hernandez, you know, he he, he tried to shoot a shot, and it didn't go his way Um, because Cerrone is just full of tricks. I said it on Twitter, Old Daydrink and Don got a ton of fight left in him. Let's see who's coming here. Who is this? I cannot tell. Some donks with some beards. So there you go. Phenomenal win for him. He said 40 fights into his career, he finally realizes he wants a title shot, Cerrone said right um, amazing amazing that he uh, is in this position now that he has put two wins back to back that you know he seems to be motivated in, in incredible ways by the love of his family his kid was here his wife was here his team is behind him did not have Greg Jackson in his corner by the way uh, it was just uh, Joe Schilling and some of the guys in the BMF ranch so that was kind of interesting you know, Cowboy still has a ton of fight left in him. I thought he looked badly drained on that on the scales. And he even said that the weight cut sucked. But at the same time, he sort of manned up and made it through and got the work done. And here he is getting a phenomenal win you know, against a guy who made it ugly early on uh, in the week anyway. And I think a lot of people are really happy to see Cerrone kind of, you know, cruising is a strong word. But showing just the quality of fighter that he is. And just seeing a guy who's been 40 fights deep do all the work and all the work he's put in, get the results that he's gotten. By the way, if you, if you look at all the fighters who added up wins inside the Zufa universe, so that's UFC, Pride, Strike Force, um, WEC. Yeah, they say UFC, Pride, Strike Force, WEC. Am I missing one? Those four at least. Uh, He's got the most wins of anyone. He passed Vanderlei Silva, who had 27 wins collectively. He now has 28 wins. So he's the guy in that capacity. Amazing. Joanne Calderwood putting on an absolutely veteran performance against Ariani or Ariane Lipsky, winning a unanimous decision. 230 26 is a 130 27. I thought. Was competitive at range, although that was more where Lipsky had uh, some success. It was pretty even-ish there. But Calderwood, by no means outmatched, and just so smart. Pressing against the fence, getting the takedown. Has Banksy tattoos, which I thought was kind of interesting. uh, But just showing all well-rounded ability and knowing how to get from one position to another. Knowing how to put the fight on terms that are best for you. uh, And getting that done was nice to see as well. Uh, Alonzo Menafield defeating Vinicius Moreira. 356 at the first round, just looks like his hand speed and his accuracy is way faster. I don't know what these guys are accustomed to seeing. Yes, he has big power, but if you have good speed and good accuracy and you have good power, I mean, even if you didn't have good power, um, that would be a pretty sufficient skill set to cause problems. You add in the power and it's even more. So um, Alonzo Menafield very athletic for a light heavyweight, very quick, explosive, and uh, tactically sound as well. What do you want to say about Corey Sandhagen defeating Mario Bautista, armbar, 331? You know, some of these guys just have a speed chess style where, like, uh, so, okay, Van Zant does that, where she's got the speed chess style, but a lot of it is, like, literal quick speed, which he tries to apply a technique. Sandhagen is not necessarily that guy. He doesn't waste time between attacks, but that he chains them all together is pretty amazing. Even that armbar. He told me he tried to take the back from the Kimura grip, where you spin underneath behind to the back. Couldn't get it, so just said, "Fuck it, I'll go for the arm bar. You know those kinds of quick adaptations in real time—they don't—they don't come easily. You have to have someone who has the mind for it and the practice for it, and the, you know just putting the fight on your terms. Even when he got flipped, he then turned it into an inverted triangle, right? Just so smart, so capable, so um, effortless. There's no, no friction, right, between this attack and this attack just there's it's frictionless offense amazing in that regard dennis bermudez retires after beating t edwards three thirty twenty sixes. 26s man t edwards he looked amazing on the contender series and he physically looks the part but after one round or so he just loses enthusiasm like if you just can't put these guys away early you know the way he was giving up the single legs a guy from a wrestling background no less was disheartening you know you know how physically capable he is you know what he can do and then that that's the upper bound limit of his, um, efforts. You know, he needs somebody who can get those second and third gears out of him. And I don't know who that is, but, uh, in any event, it was classic Dennis Bermudez, right? Sort of constantly pressuring with the wrestling wind to take down scrambles, getting on top, uh, pressuring against the fence, striking at distance for a time, but, uh, Doing the things he needed to do. Now, we talked about Jeff Neal earlier against Bilal Muhammad. Bilal Muhammad putting it on him, I mean, don't get me wrong. This was not a one-way fight. But Jeff Neal, again, throwing the punch and then landing the kick behind it. He was getting chewed up by the body shots because the hands were up here a little bit. And he was headhunting. But Neal is accurate, powerful, well-coached, well-trained. Um, could just do a lot. So, uh, yeah, 29-28 and then two thirty, twenty seven. That's right, yeah. Uh, really nice win for him. And then Chance, I I mispronounce his name, Rick Hountry, Rick Honch, whatever, defeating Kyle Stewart, Reiner, Kachuk, 225 of round one. Um, Yeah, I don't have much to say about that. Okay, if you have a question you would like me to answer, let me pull this up here. Right here, in the super chat. Doesn't have to be much. Whatever you put in, it's good enough for me, and I'll go do that now. Let's go see what you got. Oh, by the way, before I get to that, let's talk about the broadcast pacing. So much better. So much better. Not a, oh my God, it's, you know, they were just jumping one fight to the next. No, but they were not wasting a lot of time. There was a clear improvement. I really appreciated it. Loved it. I was so happy about it. So if they can build on that. I'm very happy. I thought Daniel Cormier did a phenomenal job, especially with all the wrestling tonight. He was really perfectly situated for that. John Annick, as cool as a cucumber. Nothing new about that. Um,. You know, I mentioned it on Twitter, and it blew up a little bit But uh, about Stephen A. Smith. It's like, dude, I get it. Why is Stephen A. Smith on the broadcast? No one cares about his opinions on MMA, but he's a well-known figure. It's, uh, you know, if uh, casual fans see him, it's like, oh, there's Stephen A. If he's here, it must be important. They've put him on their NBA broadcasts. They put him on their boxing broadcasts. And folks are trying to tell me, like, it's good for MMA, you know? Like, you've got the, the – who was there? Like, Paul George was there. Um, I think – no, yeah, Russell Westbrook was there. Uh, lots of people were there who were, um, you know, important. And that's fine, True, that's all too... Look, I get it, I get it. You're trying to create some continuity of experience. But in the end, it's like, oh, you want people to watch on ESPN+. Plus? Okay, once we get to ESPN+, Plus, why do we need to hear from him and Daniel Cormier? And here's the other part about that. It's like, dude, what does it say about television that you have to trick viewers into watching your shit by giving them someone manifestly unqualified uh, about the product to get a primo spot on a television broadcast about it. Sort of pathetic in a way that this is like you have to do sleight of hand uh, where you have these utterly capable professionals who could otherwise do the job. But, oh, no, 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 this guy's more popular, and so therefore this will be better for viewership. If it is, great. Better for MMA, I guess. But it's just sort of sad that that's the state of television that, you know, oh, look at this magic trick where we put up this guy who knows fuck all. And we squeeze out people who are otherwise much more capable professionals in the effort to get a thousand more viewers. Yeah, no thanks. That's why I don't. You know, that's why I don't really like television that much. It's just a lot of bullshit that's not real. It's not real that Stephen A. Smith is the guy for this job. Like you know, it's not real. Um, you know, I don't mind him on the NBA broadcasts. Uh, certainly, I think he's a fine fit for First Take. I have nothing against him personally. You know, I don't know the gentleman. He's been enormously successful. I get it. But, you know, you can't, you couldn't have had Max Kellerman. I I gather that they are two different kinds of broadcasters. But Max Kellerman is smooth and experienced and could easily have done it. And I do enjoy his opinions, certainly on boxing and even MMA as well. It would have felt much better. And he's on first take. Like, he's not some esoteric figure that they pulled from the, you know, the trenches of some, uh, you know, regional news cable outlet or something he's well known so i didn't care for that i thought that shit sucked i heard a lot of people complain that their espn feeds were conking out espn plus feeds were conking out um i didn't have any problem mine was smooth the entire way so that was good for me here we go there is a departing tj dillashaw right there There you go. So I didn't care much for that. I get it. I understand the business. But I just don't care. It isn't, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. Um, but otherwise, oh, last thing about this. Uh, it looked to me like the production was basically the same, which makes sense because it is the same. But, like, they just took all the Fox elements, stripped the Fox logo off, and then slapped an ESPN logo. And I had my friend RJ Clifford being like, yeah, that's because the UFC is still producing it. Right. But what is it about the UFC producing it both for Fox and ESPN, that means it has to be nearly identical in presentation production elements. Like, why is that shorthand for we'll just keep it the same? Why Why wouldn't it be different? Why wouldn't you shake it up a little bit? Why wouldn't you try new things? Like, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, because UFC is producing them. Right, what's that got to do with anything? Update it. <laughs> anyway, the new belt looked pretty good on Henry Cejudo, by the way. I thought I didn't think it looked that bad. I thought it looked all right. I was kind of okay with it. Uh, All right, what questions do you have? We shall go to them. Let's do this now. Shall we? Let's see. All right. Oh, and before I forget, how about Trevor Whitman? Amazing. Uh, They haven't, it looks to me, my read on this, I don't know how you guys feel. My read on this is they haven't quite figured out how to use him, but I think very highly of trevor whitman as a coach as a trainer as a cornerman and he was better on the who's great on the broadcast i think they got to have a much more defined role because he kept talking about the corners and it's like i definitely want to hear that but i also want to hear what he thinks about the strategy and what they're doing and and when he got into that it was like yeah i was super into it because cormier is great but you know, Trevor Whitman's a striking coach. He's going to see things in ways that maybe Cormier doesn't uh, and vice versa. So I'm not saying they should have had a three-man booth. Uh, I get that they're trying to figure out a role for Trevor but thumbs up for me on Trevor Whitman. More please because that was definitely something I liked. This is what I'm talking about. It's like, oh, it's the same people producing. Who gives a fuck? Update it. And they did. In that case, they did. And then I appreciate that. But with the rest of the production elements, just like swapping out logos, doesn't do anything for me. Alright, time for questions. This person writes, uh, a couple things. Number one, fuck Greg Hardy. All right. Glad he lost. I will never stop being salty about the DJ versus Cejudo 2 fight. Uh, feel that the weight cut must have hurt TJ. Don't know if I'll ever be a Cejudo fan. Congrats on the baby, Luke. Well, I don't have much to add to that, but if that's your opinion. I certainly respect it. Someone says, did you hear Paulie Malinacci's views on Dana and the fighters? Yeah, he claimed on MMA Junkie Radio, Paulie Malinacci, that Dana, that, that Connor made $80 million for the fight against Mayweather, and that Dana, a.k.a. the UFC, took uh forty forty mil uh and that he just couldn 't believe it like he just couldn 't fathom how like how could that could be true, but um, it is apparently in your opinion does adding one sixty five require losing one twenty five if they keep one twenty five a thin division no because one sixty five you're not like for example when you're bringing in you know women 's Straw weight you're bringing in people who literally are not there. Because remember, it was Bansomweight. Maybe a couple people dropped that just gone on Drage. But in reality, you're adding a bunch of people who were not in the organization before. 165 is interesting because you're just reshuffling divisions. Now, you might recruit more to fill them, so there might be some addition, but it's not exactly the same. Uh, oops. So, Fight Nation. Okay. So it's not exactly the same. So the question is now with 125, it depends what they're going to do with it. If they want to keep it in like a half-assed way, you could, you could do that. You could, you could keep it around. Um, I don't know that one necessarily precludes. It just really all depends on what their content needs are. Uh, if you have to cut one, I'd rather have that and then add 65. But, you know, maybe they need the warm bodies to fill rosters. It's really hard to know. Does Cejudo winning the brand-new UFC belt influence them with in their decision whether to keep or kill flyweight? Well, I don't know about the, that. No, I don't think that matters. I think they're happy to give him one if, in fact, he has earned it. Um, but And he did. But what's going to influence them is, you know, it's real simple. That Greg Hardy fight with Alan Crowder was not great, right? It was not high-level MMA. But that fight is highly marketable. It was the co-main event. Now you had a flyweight fight as the main event, but it was a sort of super fight and whatnot. Can they make money from flyweight? Is it good for their business? Guys, remember, the UFC is not a sports federation. The UFC is a business. They are not going to treat the sport as a federation would, which would be to protect the sport and its interests for its own sake. They will do that to the extent the UFC will, to the extent it is good for business. So if it's good for business, sweet. If it's not, they won't do it. Um, and if that is a decision that only they can make. Uh, someone says, I won betting against Hardy, so I thought I'd share a small piece with one of my favorites. Fair enough, player. Appreciate that. What new things did we learn about Cejudo? Well, you've got to be kind of careful with that, right? Because you got 34 seconds of footage, as I mentioned, I think the one thing I could say is, I wouldn't call it new, but that this 30 seconds of footage you got tonight, and the way in which he won, confirms my larger suspicions that he has entered the maturation stage of his skill set. As I mentioned, he will continue to get better, but he has plateaued into a mastery, not plateaued, he has ascended to a mastery stage where um, he can only get incrementally better. And that's not a put-down, that's a, that's a promise, that's a... Um, I'm saying something good about him, because what I'm saying is he has reached uh, the near pinnacle of his opportunities, the near pinnacle of his abilities, and he's done that by, you know, slowly just taking time to work things out and put them together, get good at striking, yes, but how do I mix my striking with my wrestling, and tactically, what's the right choice between using them here? That's what he's begun to put together, that's the kind of sort of space he's in now, and so... To me, it's like, what do we learn? It's like, if there was any doubt that he is way different, way different than what he was just a couple of years ago, that needs to be put to bed. That must be put to bed. Let's see what else we got here. Does the UFC provide the pizza? Yeah, apparently. They did that in the last time they were in New York, but they commonly don't. So, did you like the analysis of the corner advice? I think you meant from Trevor Whitman. Loved it. Loved it. Got to be careful because, uh, you know, everybody's fighters' corners are different. Their relationships are different, and that's fine. But um, in general, yes. Again, the addition of Trevor Whitman, they've still got to figure out exactly how it's going to go. But for a first time, you got to remember, guys, introducing a production element, you can have this idea in your head. Like, I've done a little bit of TV, obviously, and I see I do radio all the time. You go in these meetings, and people are like, oh, let's try this. And then you executed it, and you think to yourself, okay, that was good in theory. It didn't quite work out the way we thought it would. How can we either get rid of it, or how can we change it? It takes time. But for a first time to be that good, it's very promising. Very promising. Uh, What's up, Luke? Your thoughts on McGregor versus Cowboy? Does it actually happen? How does it play to the UFC 155 division and stakes? Yeah, we asked Cowboy here, would you do it? He said, yeah, he loved it. You know, He doesn't. He obviously knows he doesn't control what the UFC does and what Conor does. Conor kind of calls his own shots, right? But at the same time, he was completely down for it. You guys saw the tweet from McGregor. He was up for it. I mean, does it make sense? It's like, I, I've answered this question before. I put a video out about the the potential Malinacci fight. All y'all hated it, but I, I think it still stands. Does it make sense? It makes sense in context with where there are interests from McGregor. So, like, So to the extent that he really wants to buckle down and chase a title, no, I don't know that it makes that much sense. Um, to the extent that he is sort of semi there and could make for an entertaining fight, one that was winnable for him, if he then wanted to recommit, yes, it would make sense. Um, if he wants to make the most money, no, it wouldn't make the most sense. So it's really dependent as a function of his interests and what, what he wants to do moving forward. And so I, you know, that I can't speak for, but like... If you're asking, are there contexts where this could work? Yes. Yes, there are. Uh, Hardy couldn't wait three more seconds to hit. Nope. Apparently not. (laughs) Apparently not. Um, Massive risk on TJ's part doesn't work out. How big is that elephant in the room going back to 135, especially if he doesn't rematch the Hudo right away? It's going to give his next opponent some ammunition. That's for sure. It's going to be a part of the story of his next fight. It's going to be brought up relentlessly. I think, without with some de- with good reason, uh, you know, it was a gamble. You have to you have to appreciate the risk taking, but you also have to be sober in assessing um, the consequences. You know, the consequences. He's at one thirty five. I think he's much more capable. Uh, I can I can give him a mulligan on the weight cut. I have no problem with that. I don't know if everybody else will, but it seems to me that like you just can't. You can't look at the way he had to manipulate his body and say, this is optimum for performance. It's, it's just hard to make that argument. Um, on the other hand, uh, you know, you take a fight like this and you lose this way uh, and every opponent is going to say, ah, well, maybe it's something different. You know, maybe we read into this uh, person a little bit more in ways we shouldn't have and there's going to be doubting and second-guessing and and everything else. So, uh, so yeah, uh, it's... It's going to be a problem for him. But if he goes back to 135 and he wins, you know, who cares at that point, right? Is TJ losing also a huge loss for the many bantamweight contenders who now have to wait even longer for the division to move with a likely TJ Cejudo rematch? If that's the direction they go, yes, but there might be a silver lining if you're a a bantamweight. Because I was interviewing TJ this week, and he was like, there's no one for me to fight a bantamweight. And I'm like, you know, Mulder Moraes, his point was, well, yeah, he's going to beat Rafael Sonsal, which is true. Well, let's assume that he does. Like That would be a fight I would be absolutely chomping at the bit to see. And I think the fact that he underperformed pretty strongly here at 125 is going to give people the impression that he's a lot more vulnerable at 135. Whether that's true is up for debate and is unknowable. But it's going to, it's going to uh, corrode any notion of, not invincibility, but the kind of high he was riding as the dominant fighter in that division. That has been challenged here. And I think, um, like, as I mentioned, that's going to be brought up over and over and over again. So it says, looks like Connor answered on Twitter and it's interested in the cowboy fight. Yeah. Uh, if, if they can make it, I think it'd be phenomenal. I think it'd be phenomenal. Uh, you know, we'd see what kind of things Connor might say about cowboy, but okay. He's heard worse, I suppose from Alex Hernandez, no less, right. Wouldn't be the end of the world. Let me check here real quickly. All right. Uh, anything else from you, donks? Let me go back and look at these results one more time. Oh, you know what? Let me look this up real quickly. Let's look this up. What was... So, Kane Velasquez... Bump, bada, bump, bump. He loses to Dos Santos in a minute and four seconds, and then this fight ends in 34 seconds. So a minute and 38 seconds, collectively. A minute and 38 seconds is how long the main events lasted in the Fox and UFC era, but this one was better. Yeah, so different from the Fox era when they everything, including the Jim Miller-Henderson fight, the Benson-Henderson fight, uh, or was it, uh, was it Clay Guida? It was Cleague. I can't remember. But all the stuff on that card was just buried on Facebook. They go to one fight, and it ends in a minute and four seconds. This time, think about how much better it was. You had everything ironed out. You had your prelims on ESPN+. Um, they had to kill some time with the UVA-Duke game ending, but thank God it ended in the way it did and didn't go to overtime because there, there was nowhere else to go, man. Like, ESPN2, I think, had another Division One game on. They're not going to bump those Division One games contractually. I don't think they can. Maybe they could have put it on like ESPN News or something. But in any event, it ended. They launched the broadcast in there. I thought Michael Bisping did a great job as an analyst, by the way. They they launched in there. And uh, uh, it just was so much more polished. And then they go to the main card, and that was just so much better. Everything just kind of worked out. They, they the, All the lessons that they needed to learn through the Fox era, they kind of brought into this one. And, you know, tweet things here and tweet things there, and they got a long way to go. I'd like to see some more production elements change up. But the addition of Trevor Whitman, the faster pacing... The right personnel doing the different broadcasting jobs, it was just a lot better this time. It was way, 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 way better. I thought it just felt different. So even at the first, even if the main event ended, you know, I wouldn't call it anticlimactically, but not, it didn't crescendo. It was just kind of over. Uh, that's not ideal, but overall, compare that to the first fight ever on Fox, it just went so much better. So much better. So I think that there's a lot of positives to take from this, and the crowd seemed juiced so that was really good too so you know all in all pretty good day pretty good day all right last couple of these is espn plus at way too high declining ratings no way to show ratings to streaming like how netflix can hide it uh you know that's certainly one theory i think the better one would be that the ufc with an audience that has been trained to pay for stuff that is digitally native they're just going to be much more active here comes dana white there's dana they're just going to be much more uh, adept at those kinds of tasks and and technologies, and they really want to launch ESPN+. Plus. It actually makes a ton of sense. I mean, they're paying them $1.5 billion. Why would you pay $1, $1.5 billion for something that you think is not going anywhere? So, um, so yeah, they did that, and um, um, it's going to be weird measuring success. If we don't have these numbers. Hold on. By the night, Hernandez-Soroni. Performance of the night, Cejudo and Saroni. So Saroni went home with an extra 100K player. Pretty good. Um, in any event, uh, it's going to be hard to gauge success, but we'll see what the ratings do for the TV portion. Make some calls from there, and we'll see how it is. But overall, pretty, pretty great. Uh, all right, guys, thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. I'm sorry my camera sucks. I'm shooting from a potato, which is my my native laptop because I couldn't find a way to stream with my camera like I can at home. It it just wouldn't work. But uh, I really appreciate it. Please give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe. Thank you to everybody who donated. It's greatly appreciated. i got to go see what Dana's got to say. Until next time, get some sleep.